Hello, everybody, and welcome to Awards Blend, a secret podcast that is part of the growing Cloverfield universe. That is <laughs> not disappointing. That is not true. It is not. It is part of the growing cinema cinema blend podcast uh, that includes not only Awards Blend, but also Cord Cutters, which is a great podcast that you guys should check out if you are also tuning in to us. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend. And for the seventh straight time, I'm thrilled to be joined by my illustrious Awards Blend co-hosts. Jake Hamilton is the entertainment reporter for Fox 32 Chicago. Hey, Jake. What's up, Sean? How are you, sir? I missed you, handsome. I know. It's been a long time since we did this. And we are joined, as always, by Kevin McCarthy, who is the entertainment reporter for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, how goes it? Uh, Good morning or afternoon, where everyone's listening to uh, you guys. I do want to say we're burying the complete lead here about the breaking news today. Christopher Nolan, by the way, uh, pointed out the buttering of the toast and phantom thread in a recent Q&A he was at. So wait, wait, did he really? I just want to say I'm I'm not alone anymore in in the love of my buttering of toast. So did did he seriously? No, that comment is so on brand for the yeah. Awards Blend podcast. It's yeah. like Nolan listens to us yeah. and, and is sending a message that he heard our comments about it. Nolan Jake, would honestly listen, listen to us and, and he would still go, Kevin, calm down on Dunkirk, man. I do want to say, I do want to say for the record that you guys, everyone gave me crap about my, uh, about my buttering of toast uh, line. And right. uh, now Nolan has now pointed it out uh, weeks later in a Q&A. Obviously, nothing to do with me saying that, but just just a reiteration of uh, I'm not. I wasn't that crazy of a point. That's all I'm saying. This is a fantastic uh, tease for the fact that later on in today's episode, so so we are a podcast that's dedicated primarily to the Oscar race, but we have morphed into a conversation between um, three nerd friends about all things going on in cinema. And today, as we have teased, we are going to um, debate fire fiery fierily passionately. Um, <laughs> there about we go. The, the top film of Christopher Nolan, and I think um, we all have different choices, so that's going to become really? really, really exciting. And Kevin's Kevin's honest, uh, he, Nolan did in a podcast, he like reviewed all of the Best Picture nominees, and it was actually pretty great. Like his comments about each of them, him talking about Get Out was amazing. He was like, imagine like when he, he was, how often do you get to go to a movie where you are so intrigued by where this storyline is going to go, and then it takes you someplace completely unexpected and, you know, just elevate your expectations about it. And as, as I listened to him talk about Get Out, I was like, he would be so perfect on this podcast. I would love to see him just weigh in on all these different films. And he did. When he talked about the uh, Phantom Thread, he talked about the sound of buttered toast. Yeah. He, said now, he said now his kids call him uh, Woodcock, Woodcock. Whenever, he, whenever he acts like a bit of a tyrant, yes. which I would assume is probably often. This is great news. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is great news. <laughs> Everything uh, about this is right on on point for Kevin. So uh, before we start to break down Nolan, there is so much to get to this week. Um, and as I said, we have branched a little bit away from the awards conversation, although we won't get too far away from it because we have the Oscars coming up on March 4th. But this week in particular is the week that every studio decided they were going to drop a trailer for uh, an anticipated film. And it started with... The Super Bowl. So let's. Why don't we start there and talk about the different trailers that we saw at the Super Bowl? Do you guys have a favorite? Um, something that played during the Super Bowl that just blew you guys away and got you excited for a project? I feel like it's not a very sexy answer, but I liked the solo trailer. I thought it was awesome and it got me jazzed. No, don't give me that face, Kevin. You, for you, for those of you listening at home, I can't see is Kevin's giving me a face. Like like like, like I just stepped on his child. I just stepped on his puppy or something. What are you well, t- dude, I'm Come probably- on, man. I'm in between you guys, I would assume. So, Jake, what did you like about it? 
it got me excited about a movie that I wasn't super jazzed about. I mean, like, I, you know, here's the deal. Is it, let's be honest, Disney already has the money of the three people, in the, or the, you know, at least we're going to go to the screening, of the three people in this podcast. Like, we're going to see it. And that, yeah. that is the point of a trailer to get you to go see a movie that maybe you weren't going to see otherwise. But it gave me hope that, that there's a vision there, that Ron Howard sort of pulled something together. I liked the look of it. I liked that we were presented with, yet again, a brunette British girl that is going to be rumored to be Ray's mother once more. Um, uh, I didn't realize how much I was looking forward to seeing Chewie in some action. Because we, you know, because Chewie's kind of taking a back seat uh, in, in, in the, new, uh, the new trilogy. So it'll be nice to sort of see him in the thick of things, doing things that maybe physically Peter Mayhew never could have done. Right. Um, in the original trilogy. And then also, I think it also kind of made me realize that I secretly really want Lando, a Star Wars story. And uh, and I just think that, that uh, Glover can just do no wrong. And and I, I want the, that coat. And most importantly, I want to know what that coat is made out of because it's got to be made out of some space animal. So I really, I just have so many questions. And, uh, and it got me really excited about it. Yeah, I think the solo trailer was the Super Bowl spot. The minute-long Super Bowl spot was awesome. And, and forgive me well, that's if i we're talking about. Right. That spot was cool. The actual trailer, not so much. I, I don't I don't particularly like his voice now. And forgive me if I'm wrong. And I could be maybe I'm missing something here. I also watched this at three in the morning when I was in uh, when I was away for work. Um, but the the Super Bowl spot, whose voice was that? Was that Ford or was that all Ehrenreich uh, over the actual spot? Because it, well, sounded, it, that, it was, that sounded like it, Ford. No, it was another guy who was like recruiting Han okay. into the in yeah. this short teaser. It's someone who's recruiting it's, him, uh, and he does, he never actually Aaron Reich never actually speaks. They ask him at the very end, like, "What's your name?" and then it says Solo. That voice in that trailer, whoever that was, sounded more like Harrison Ford than Aaron Reich does in the speaking parts of the of the regular trailer. And I, I think I will say this. And listen, he's a younger version of the character. His voice is probably a little bit different. But that was the one thing that completely distracted me from the movie. I, I was like sitting there watching the visuals. It was really cool. I loved what Ron Howard done the, did visually, and uh, I'm excited about Amelia Clark. I love uh, obviously I love the casting of Lando for Donald Glover. I mean, it's almost perfect casting. Uh, and I, I just think that the voice really bothered me. I, so, I, I but but then that, that raises the bigger it. question of: Are we looking for Alden Aaron Reich to give a performance, or are we looking for him to impersonate Harrison Ford well, for two hours? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's, 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 I'm saying there's an answer. I'm saying that's a tough question well there's an interpretation versus an impersonation but obviously when you interpret somebody uh you don't have to get their exact like you don't want to be like you don't want to like do like an impersonation of the person but i will say han solo has enough of a voice in the star wars universe that we all know that i think it, uh, a younger a person at that age probably already started to sound like the han solo we know now so I, I just it's weird for me. Like, and I, I saw a tweet online about the inflection and the way he the way he would, went up and down on his voice. And just it just didn't seem right to me. I don't know why. It just felt flat. I don't, I don't really disagree small, with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate. It's a small sample size. We have to see yeah. how it plays in the movie. And um, I, while I agree with 
uh, Jake, that I think there are some exciting things in this trailer to to still look forward to the movie. I think Woody Harrelson could be really exciting. As you mentioned, we haven't really seen Donald Glover do anything but look cool, right? He, he hasn't awesome. said anything yet. He looks amazing, yeah. right? And To be fair, that's 90% of what Lando did in the original but trilogy. Like that shot of Lando with like the flashing lights, that was yeah. awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I don't want to sound like a Debbie down here. I'm very excited about the movie. Uh, and I've been, I've said this a million times in the podcast already. I am less excited that Miller and Lord left. So yeah. I, I'm a little worried about it being a paint by the numbers, very safe star Wars movie, uh, which, you know, listen, I mean, force awakens while it was a safe star Wars movie it was still amazing. I didn't really love Jedi, of course, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I've always been ever since that Phil Lord and Chris Miller firing or leaving, whatever it was, uh, I've been a little less excited about this movie. I will have to just say one thing that like, so it starts off with him and he's talking about how he got kicked out of flight school and, you know, he, he's driving that sort of beat up speeder, it looks like, and I'm sort of on board. And then we get to a point in the trailer where like the montage with quick clips happen and you see TIE fighters drop out, you hear that sound. And just for like a split second, I was like, oh man, it's another Star Wars movie. Like that that bit of fatigue is, wow. is starting to be I'm with you. real. It's starting to be a little bit real. That we're it's just coming much. out of a Star Wars movie. We're months into another Star Wars movie. I, I'm actually I'm ex- I'm looking forward to solo. I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. But but that break from solo to to episode nine, I kind of need that to rekindle. Yeah, I just need and, to get my juices. Yeah, back it's, into it's it. oversaturation of Star Wars. I mean, it really is, and I think but, that. But we get three Marvel movies a year, and I don't hear anyone talking about. But uh, I see. I don't know when you see when you see Black Panther. Like that's a Marvel film, but that doesn't feel like a Marvel movie. I mean, I feel like uh, there's. I don't know. It's different. When I watch Captain America, Winter Soldier, or Civil War, and then I watch a Thor film, it's totally, completely different. Uh, I don't know. It feels different to me than like like when I see the the, the Thor movie coming out or a Iron Man movie coming out. It's different than just a Star Wars movie. I don't know why. It just for I, me it is. I want to get back to the trailers eventually, but I want to use this moment to transition to another topic that I was going to bring up anyway. The Game of Thrones guys getting star wars movies or getting the ability to write a star wars trilogy i have not seen game of thrones i know you've never seen game of thrones i have not i have if anyone's looking in my background oh hold on i can show you i have all of them well if i touch them everything's gonna fall down i have a whole pile of them there all those seasons to get through and i've not watched a single episode so tell me how i don't know what's more shocking that you haven't seen game of thrones or that you have them on dvd they're sitting right there. Well, they were delivered to the Cinema Blend offices, and I took them home because, I mean, most people on the staff had seen them, and I figured I'm going to mainline them one day, but Fair we just haven't had the time. So um, are you guys excited about the fact that these guys might take over Star Wars? And, like, what was your thoughts on the hiring, and why should I be excited about this? Uh, I, I'm, I'm incredibly excited. I'm, I'm the sort of guy that uh, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, and um, as you know, my dog's name is Daenerys. Um, and anytime a Game of Thrones episode pops up and it says written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, I instantly go, this is going to be good. I associate okay. them with good writing and good, good storytelling. Do they um, like do they come in and, and write the big episodes? They write is that the how it big works? ones. Yeah, they write okay. the big ones. There's a chances are if there is an episode that you go, ooh, there's, you know, this episode, Battle of the Bastards or the Red Wedding or whatever the case may be. There's a good chance that their name was attached to it. OK, right. Gotcha. Um, and there's that, a chance yeah. that they may hire um, Michelle McLaren, I've heard, because they work with her on Game of Thrones, so they can yeah. bring her in. But this is a long way off. We're years yeah. off from this Oh, happening. yeah, because I mean, because they've got to finish Game of Thrones, which isn't even – the final season isn't even going to start until next year. So we're we're a ways away. 
Okay. But but also, um, well, I, I also want to hear Kevin's thoughts on this. I mean, yeah. I mean, listen. I mean, those writers are incredible. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, like when it all comes down to it, I will watch any Star Wars film that hits theaters. I mean, I, I'm very very excited to watch Solo. I'm gonna see it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, uh, the Super Bowl spot really blew me away. Uh, the t- uh, actual trailer not so much. But uh, again, these are all thoughts based on a trailer that we've seen. I have not seen the film yet. I can't give my thoughts on the film. Um, but obviously. The voice bothered me, but Game of Thrones writers, yeah, it sounds awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but I, I'm a little bit oversaturated with Star Wars at the moment, so I, I need, I need a break uh, for a little bit. I think. I have a question for you guys. Are we moving away from Star Wars stories and going to start getting more? Because now it seems like, like it's Oprah and they're just throwing out trilogies. Like you get a trilogy and you get a trilogy, and I, I feel like I'm hearing less about individual stories being handed out. Well, you know, someone on uh, our staff suggested that these Game of Thrones guys might actually start developing more of a multi-episode series for Disney's eventual streaming service. Gotcha. Which which they did. Bob Iger did announce that they're going to that they have several streaming or several uh, shows in the works. So I'm excited for something like that. And and then another a friend of mine was saying that if Ryan Johnson's trilogy is set like a hundred years into the future from where we are now. And if, if the game of Thrones guys do a saga, that's like a thousand years before this one, like just go all over the place. Yeah. Oh totally yeah. Different. Then I'm on board for that. But, um, I don't, they, I, I'm with you that they have to sort of get away from this. Um, cause even these standalone movies, rogue one and Han Solo, they're all still in the, in the, time frame of the movies that we're familiar with yeah and so when everyone's talking about han solo I'm like oh maybe we'll get to see job of the hut like really i don't need to see you know don't young ruin this for me i, w- I want to see a young job I'll, I'll, I'll watch a boba fett uh, uh story i definitely will would you watch a boba fett standalone i think i would absolutely I yeah. maybe I would. An Obi-Wan? I'd be kind of excited about an Obi-Wan story i guess i'd like to see obi-wan in between in between episode three and episode four right yeah that'd be interesting all right, let's get back to uh, Mission Impossible because oh, when we dun, were doing dun, dun, yes, dun, 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 so when dun, we were doing dun, our dun. most anticipated of 2018, um, Jake uh, said that the reason, one of the reasons why he wasn't 100 percent on board with with this one is because Macquarie was coming back. You really enjoyed how different directors. Yeah, um, and I don't mean that as a knock against Macquarie. I you just hate like Christopher Macquarie. I get it. I, I I just liked the idea of each. Mission Impossible feeling different. And I have a feeling that this is going to be the first one that feels like the last one. One of the most fun things that I love that we do is when any of us say like a thing that's slightly contradictory, we turn it into the fact that the person hates that. Well, well, I I just thought you guys were doing an impression of the internet because that's pretty much the internet. If you say anything bad about anything, like God help the first person that says something bad about Black Panther. Right. Because they are going to be ripped apart. So. You saw the Fallout trailer. Did it get you more excited? What do you think about the Fallout trailer? Uh, I yeah. Go ahead, Jake. Go ahead. No, it's a, no. You you go. You go. No, go 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 go. It's it's a great trailer. Honestly, it's it's a truly it's an amazing trailer. And to me, when I see something like that, it's less about holy crap, doesn't that movie look great? And it's more about how can someone not like Tom Cruise? Like he yeah. literally risks his life for us right. to be entertained. Same. What I think though, what impressed me more less the trailer and more that behind the scenes video they just put out that showed yes. him piloting yes. the, the chopper. Like I put that on, on, on the news this morning. And I, I said like, 
say what you want to about Tom Cruise, whether you don't, whether you're annoyed by his personal life or you don't agree with what religion he subscribes to. You cannot look me in the eyes and tell me he does not give 110% to his craft and therefore give 110% to you, the audience. Like yeah. he literally risks his life so that we can watch for two hours and be entertained. And how do you not give $10 for a ticket to that? Yeah, Tom Cruise is one of the old, one of the few people who actually understands that people are spending tons of money to go to a cinema and watch his movies. And there is nothing more like that makes me angered more when a filmmaker could have done something practically, uh, but then yet chose the CGI route. Uh, and then you look at what Tom Cruise does. I don't know how old I think he's in his 50s now, uh, which is not old. But I mean, but still, uh, he's doing these incredible stunts, obviously, in, in, in uh my favorite one, my favorite ones from the three, I think the blowback into the car on the bridge. Oh, the yeah. And then the jets flying over. Yeah, that was J.J. Yes. Abrams is he hits the car uh, Four, he's on top of the he's on the building and the Burj Khalif five he's on the side of the plane and Rogue Nation. Uh, that helicopter behind the scenes featurette is just mind blowing and also a complete and utter regard for the audience like he wants the audience to feel as immersed in the action as possible. And we are, you can literally do anything now with digital effects. So that could have easily been done with green screens and, and, and but obviously it wouldn't look as good. And you have 13 helicopters in the air. Cruz is actually flying the helicopter. They built camera rigs that are attached to it, filming the, the sequence. Uh, and that's just one scene in the film. The trailer itself had a ton of action scenes. Out of everything that aired at the Super Bowl, that was the one that I was the most excited about. And I understand yeah. where Jake's coming from about the Christopher McQuarrie element, different directors each time. But Rogue Nation might be my favorite Mission Impossible film uh, up there with with, uh, with number four, for Gross Protocol. So I'm totally fine with McQuarrie kind of upping the game and bringing us on a different level of, of immersion with this movie. I'm, I can't wait to see Mission Impossible. And that's the trailer, too, that, like, once it ended, I was like, I'm not going to watch another thing for that movie. Yeah. Like, did you watch God. the behind-the-scenes featurette, though, at least? No, I did. And, yeah, so that for people awesome. who, who didn't get a chance to see that, first, go find it. And, secondly, what it what it explains is that there's a helicopter chase, like, through mountains. And in any other situation where you would assume that they just filmed it in a, like, a standalone cockpit with green screen all around and the actor right. would pretend to be going back and forth – Tom Cruise, who does not know how to fly helicopters <laughs> prior to this movie, um, learns how to fly helicopters well enough that he can conduct this chase. And it's not even there's like one point where the helicopter has to like plummet and do a spin. And he did it himself, like physically with the cameras mounted, because like like you guys were saying, his commitment to realism with that. But, all, like it blows my mind how because then in the middle of that chase, there's a shot of Henry Cavill like yeah. leaning out with a Gatling gun, like shooting at him. And that I think that that's real. But I think that's fake. No, I think. Oh, yeah, I think he's yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. so too. Yeah. There's no and way it that looks they actually fake did that. Now, yeah. Right? yeah. No, it looks fake yeah. in comparison. And to do you think there's stuff. any part of you that Tom Cruise looks at that and goes, "You've got to be kidding me? Are you <laughs> so kidding sure me?" He did. He's way, like, "You sissy, aren't you Superman?" We don't know for Shake sure. Your mustache. We don't know for sure, by the way, because that that Henry Cavill might have done that with a wire holding him into the thing. It's possible. I mean, obviously, if you watch the Rogue Nation behind the scenes footage. Uh, he still hung out the plane, but he had a wire attached to him. Now, there's ways to do things that uh, that will keep the audience immersed. Like, for example, they're not going to put Tom Hardy in the real Spitfire up in the air like that, doing those like doing those things with the, with the shootouts in Dunkirk. But there's way that, like, for example, not everyone's going to be like Tom Cruise. But the reason I bring up the Dunkirk example is there are ways to do scenes practically to make it look real and still give the audience the immersive experience. Like, for example, Tom Hardy. 
They put him on like a rock with a water background. And then Nolan just operated a gimbal of moving the plane up. Then they went up and shot real footage of a guy flying the plane with IMAX cameras attached to it. And then he cut the two together and it looks realistic. That's just another route you can go if you're not, if your actor's not going to be as game as Tom Cruise. But but it's, a lot of directors go that easy route and just do, as you said, a green screen, put them on a gimbal in a studio, and then add it all in later on. I'm not saying everybody needs to be Tom Cruise, uh, but there are other routes to go. It just takes, a, a director needs to think outside the box and use CGI as a tool with a paint box and a tool, saying, tool box. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying everybody needs to be Tom Cruise. Stop Listen, posting around that, and be you know, Tom Cruise. Most I, people I, I, would not do what Tom Cruise does. And listen, I understand it. Tom Cruise could have died doing that stunt. We all know that. There's a risk of death there. Um, so it's a matter of whether or not you want to put your life on the line for something like that. And I listen, I love it because it creates an immersive experience for me as an audience member. And I love it because it also it makes movies more exciting. Um, but if you're not going to do that, still find another way to keep it as realistic as possible. And maybe do something like a Nolan or, or, or that you can still make it practical, but not put your actor at risk, you know? I, I have an, an annoying question that's going to bug you guys. And I think you're going to say no, but is there any part of you that like, because I'm not trying to take away like from the, the, the helicopter thing, because it's awesome, but it's not quite as cool as the last two stunts. Is there any part of you that was like a little disappointed that like, cause obviously at this point now it's all about like, what's the big, what's the big stunt he's going to do. And I just don't think yeah. the chopper one is as cool as him hanging off the building right. or him hanging onto the plane. I completely agree with you. I, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I agree with you. When I first saw the footage, uh, I, I was like, okay, that's, that's the big one this time. So clearly the Burj Khalif was big uh, and the rogue one one was big. I don't know what they could do next that wouldn't kill him. Um, <laughs> so, so I, 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 yeah, there, there was definitely a level of underwhelmment inside in regards to the overall scope of. Okay, as long as I'm done. okay feeling that. No, no, no I'm I felt, amazed by it, but it's still there's an element of like, right. oh, like okay, all right. But, like, but the funny thing about it is, if you threw. Um, the Rock or something like that in that scene, who had never done something maybe as extreme as Cruz had already done in the other two movies, then it would be even more amazing. But because Cruz has kind of already set this bar so high, I mean, yeah, I mean, what he's doing in the helicopter is so beyond belief amazing. But I completely agree with you. It's not like, for example, if the Burj Khalif and the Rogue One, Rogue Nation plane shot are at a 10, this is like a 9.5 on the cool scale. It's still awesome. It's sure. just not, it didn't like burst. It didn't burst above those two yet, but I bet you a million dollars that's not even the best stunt in the movie. It's going to be bigger than that, I think. We'll the see. Super Bowl wasn't it. I mean, like after the Super Bowl was done, the studios just kept it coming. And we had two trailers that I just want to touch on briefly because I think that they represent um, the right way and the wrong way to do a trailer. Uh, we saw Deadpool 2 and we saw yeah. Venom. So <laughs> wait, wait, we saw Deadpool, Deadpool 2, and, 2 and Venom and Venom. Ah, okay. So. Deadpool 2 um, gives you everything that you hope for, right? It shows you Josh Brolin as Cable. It teases a number of the other supporting characters. It does some fourth wall breaking. It makes fun of the Justice League mustache game. Yes. It does everything that you wanted to do. And then Venom uh, shows you a Venom trailer without showing Venom. So uh, <laughs> what did you guys think of Deadpool and what did you think of Venom? Uh, Deadpool reminded me because it's I mean, it's been a little while since Deadpool was at this point coming up on two years. Yeah. And, and you know, I've seen it a few times since then. But like and I knew it was coming out and I was excited about it. But I think I forgot why I was excited. And that trailer came out and reminded me of why I loved the first one so much. And it reminded me of 
this is why you're excited. And, I, and then I went, oh, that's right. Okay, yes, that's why I love this character and Ryan in yeah. the character. And I'm 100% sold. And just like in a day and age in which like, I think we're gearing up for some very heavy Marvel movies between Black Panther and, and uh, Infinity War. I think that it's, you know, there are going to be a lot of chances to crack some jokes. I think it'll be a nice like palate cleanser for what I think are some heavy, uh, some heavy handed uh, superhero flicks heading our way. Yeah, the Deadpool 2 trailer was awesome. I, I, was, <laughs> I, I was really excited. And Deadpool was my number one in 2016. I loved that film. I, I, I liked, I loved Deadpool, not just because of the movie Deadpool, but because of the story behind it. Uh, the idea of necessity as the mother of invention, making a film on a lower budget in a superhero universe, and then having scenes that actually were the biggest laughs in the film because you couldn't afford uh, some of the bigger explosions and characters. Um, so I'm hoping that they keep that low budget. I hope they don't go too extreme on the budget this time yeah. because I think what yeah, made that agree with you. so great. Um, Deadpool 2 trailer is just an example of how great the writing is. Uh, no. I mean, the idea that you, uh, what's funny about that trailer is, is it's almost like Get Out. You had to watch it two or three times to understand everything because the first time I watched it, and then you see um, uh, you see Ryan Reynolds pause the footage and you see Josh Brolin's green arm. I didn't notice that until he paused it. I was just right. like so immersed in the moment. I'm like, oh, this is cool. We're seeing Cable for the first time. And then Deadpool pauses the trailer in the fourth wall break and you see his green arm and then he does the little play toys and then gets back into the action. Uh, I was very excited about it. I thought it was a clever way to do it. Uh, I think David Leach is an amazing filmmaker. This is a gentleman who uh, came up from the stunt world. Him and Chad Stalhesky, who did John Wick One, these guys understand action. They they put you. They're like they're like the Tom Cruise of directors because they understand that action doesn't need to be all quick cuts. You know, stop tricking the audience. Get us in the action. Give us practical in-camera effects because it makes the action feel better. We saw it in Atomic Blonde. We saw it in Dude, the they did the staircase fight in Atomic Blonde. I mean, that's right. it. that nice. alone yeah. right there has right me up. excited about what they're going to do. There's, I yeah. bet you that there's an unbroken fight scene in Deadpool 2 that's going to be incredible. I remember, I remember talking to Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick at the Life Junket, and they made a we were joking around about possibilities of what the one shot could be in Deadpool. I'll, I'll tell you guys about it off air, but it's actually kind of a cool if they actually pull it off the way they explained it to me. But I, I, uh, I'm very excited about it. The Deadpool trailer to me is is a great example of a great way to introduce a character, but also play around with the idea of what a trailer is. I mean, what was that? What was the one they released? The teaser with the the painter with the hair. Um, Bob Ross, the Bob Ross awesome. tribute. Yeah, that was so awesome. Very funny. I just can't wait to see why yeah. Deadpool's in a coffin coming up uh, in yeah. the middle of a funeral. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> yeah. wait. Like that, it looks amazing. And someone pointed out on Twitter that he's wearing the Goonie shirt. That yeah, chunks floral yeah, shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of cool. <laughs> also, I did not know that Terry Crews was in the movie, and I love Terry Crews. Is he? I didn't know that. Is yeah, he? There's, yeah. a, there's a shot um in the plane when when the when the back of the plane's going down. One of one of the one of the people standing there is Terry Crews. I don't know. I didn't even know he was in the movie, but I but I'm all for Terry Crews being in anything. Dude, I'm I I listen. I will say this. I was very upset when Tim Miller left the project because right. Miller came from a background of VFX, so he. He was able to cheat and do cool things with visual effects that made that film kind of on the in. I say indie because it's indie scale compared to major superhero type movies. It's still a $58 million film, um, but it made $800 million worldwide. So it's like, you know, it, it did really well. So I'm, uh, 
I'm a little nervous, but David Leach does work very well in low budget. I mean, John Wick and Atomic Blonde were not expensive movies, so I'm just excited. And did, did you guys see the news recently that Leach might be doing the the Rock and Statham movie? Did you see he got? Yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. I would love that. That could be good. Happen. Yeah, that, I hope that, could that be good. I hope that rumor's true. I, I, there was a story about it yesterday. Um, I don't know if it's been. I don't think it's been confirmed yet, but that would be amazing if that happens. So then we got a Venom trailer that didn't feature Venom. Um, and if people hasn't if people haven't watched it yet. We have it on Cinema Blend. You can watch the trailer. And basically, what it sets up is Tom Hardy's playing Eddie Brock, who's a character who's like deep in the Spider-Man universe, but Sony can't use Spider-Man, right? Because they are sharing him with Marvel, and Marvel won't let him show up in this universe. It has to be separate from what the MCU is doing. Um, and so I was disappointed initially. I'm a huge like I'm wearing for people who are watching the show live. I have my Spider-Man shirt on, and I'm I'm a diehard fan. Um, and and I kind of bashed the trailer a little bit, not too hard, but like it's the movie's not coming out till October, so it has time to tease. And I said, how do you not show Venom in your Venom trailer? But a lot of comments underneath our story were like, this is the the right idea for a teaser trailer. It gave us an idea of what to expect, and they didn't really want to see it. They were saying trailers too often show way too much. So our readers were not on board with being upset that Venom wasn't in the Venom trailer. Do you guys agree or disagree? I felt like we should have seen something like maybe maybe not full on his face, but there should have been like a quick shot that gave me some sort of a feel for the direction they were going in. Right. Uh, whether right. it meant, you know, whether it was a shot of him like placing his hand against a wall, I'm not, I don't know what it is, but, you know, maybe like, you know, a piece of his of his face or something there had to be, I, I would have liked a little bit of flavor of the direction that we were going in. The character yeah, like, have maybe, to be CGI. So, I mean, our assumption is that the CGI just isn't ready. Right. Well, well, maybe, like, argue... maybe like a mouth shot with the teeth and the tongue yeah. or something like that. that yeah, that's like, like a pretty like fa- smiling or something. Something, you know, like, yeah. It, and it could have just been a flash. Like, it could have been literally right at the end, right when the Venom title pops up, and then boom, you hit that, yeah. like, teeth, uh, tongue. That's it. <laughs> to me, like, the perfect example of, of how to slowly reveal is how Warner Brothers did with Pennywise and It. Like it took almost that movie coming out for us to really know what Bill Skarsgård looked like in the character. Like I, they, right. like every time a trailer, I, I would kind of like, you know, kind of like try to look around, like look over a balloon or look, look behind trees to try to really figure out what he looked like. He was there. He was present in the trailer, but they weren't giving you a super great look. It was always like hidden right. by something. And that's what I feel like they rather, rather than just not have him in the trailer, like make us sort of kind of figure out what he looks like, but not quite. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I agree. And that was the thing when I posted that trailer on my Twitter today, when it, when it ended, I was like, I mean, it didn't bother me, but the backlash about not showing him. And I saw a tweet. I think this was something that you replied to Sean, my buddy Chad tweeted out that the internet was complaining that when every trailer comes out, they show too much. And now when the trailer is not showing enough, Everyone's complaining. So how do you make people happy? Well, you um, can't. So, no yeah, one's yeah, yeah, there's but, but, but that's, that's saw, the I internet. Saw, I saw something that was very interesting though, because this is the trailer that's supposedly supposed to be attached to Panther, right? And from what I understand, and if I'm wrong about that, forgive me. But if you have the audience, this is a tweet that I saw. This is not my own thoughts, but I agree with it. Um, if you have an audience that's going to be watching Black Panther, which is going to make yeah. 150 million dollars opening weekend or whatever it's going to be. You need something that's going to get them going or talking once that trailer ends. And they go and they get they leave Black Panther and they go, oh, my God, that Venom trailer is amazing. The problem is, sadly, we don't live in a day and time anymore where most people have already seen the trailer before they even get to a theater. Um, so it's kind of sad in that regard. But 
you know, not everybody watches trailers like we do online or, or, or pays attention to Twitter and social media and things like that. So I think you you want to hit it big, especially if you're putting it right before uh, Black Panther. I mean, it's kind of a that, that's a big audience to be in front of yeah. point people, you know. Yeah. Tom Hardy laying down on the MRI table didn't get you going. Was didn't, your cool. pulse wasn't I, racing. I, I like that shot of him like freaking <laughs> out. Now, there's been like some funny gifts going around of him doing that today. That that's actually a pretty cool shot. I will, I will say. Well, we have a long time till that movie comes out. It comes yeah. out in October. Yeah. I would assume a big um, San Diego Comic Con presence. You know, oh, for sure. Sony has a panel, and then yeah, that might be the war trailer and stuff yeah. like that. That might uh, be all right. The next so Avengers trailer. had a really quick spot, right? I mean, yeah. not a lot of new footage, but uh, we're on board, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm on board for it, but again, as I mentioned to you guys earlier this year, I, I, I earlier in the podcast, I was more excited about Black Panther than I was about Infinity War. Um, yeah. And I think Infinity War is going to be amazing, but I've already seen the Russos do an Avengers movie. So, I, I, I listen, it's going to be It's awesome. not going to be the same, man. Uh, it's going to be Spider-Man's, awesome. Spider-Man's, oh no, Spider-Man was in the last one too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Guardians are in this one. How can you top the 17-minute airport scene? I just don't see that happening I'm, but I, but we'll see i mean listen the russos are in my opinion and black panther reviews are already out i like black panther a lot it's it's if i had to rank the avenge the uh, mcu films it's it, black panther's in my top seven out of the 18 movies for sure um but civil war and winter soldier were on a different playing field so uh granted Knowing that, yes, I'm very excited about Infinity War. I just don't know what you do after a 17-minute airport fight scene. Yeah, but the, but the stakes up. are different. I, don't, I know we're not going on a rant on, on Marvel, but the stakes are different in Infinity War than they were in Civil War. Yeah, but I, I also will say this, and, I, and you guys haven't seen Panther yet, but Black Panther was so great mainly because of the villain being who he is. Uh, and that's Michael B. Jordan's character. And I think a lot of people have said this, and I completely agree. I think he's the probably the best comic book villain since Ledger's Joker because he's so wow. He's but he but he's so layered. What? Oh, I can I completely agree wow. with that. No question. Really? He's you you're saying he's the best Marvel villain? When you guys see Over Pan- Loki? I've oh heard God, this too. Destroys Loki. It's not even. I've heard dude. this too, but he I have not heard him put on the same level. What a bird burn. He is. Yeah. He is easily the best villain in the MCU. And I would argue that the best villain since Ledger. I heard people saying he was one of the best combo villains of all time. I disagree with that because I mean nothing. I don't think anything's going to top Ledger. The reason why I say B. Jordan is so great, and and again I won't derail this too much, but a lot of the villains in comic book films are these big CGI, massive monsters, which is why I love Man of Steel so much because Michael Shannon, even though he's an alien, gave it a, a kind of a human esque grounded touch to what he was going through emotionally emoting with his face that's an important thing for an audience if you if you can be with that person and understand what they're going through michael b jordan in this movie is the most layered and sympathetic villain i've ever seen i mean he's unbelievable and i think when you see it so that question the question the reason why i say that is leading into infinity war now i think that that sets a different precedent for the mcu when you have a villain that great who can be as good as that, but also emotionally connect to them as as Michael B. Jordan does? Well, you say Infinity War is a Thanos movie. Like, I mean, I think they're putting a lot of cards into Thanos. And Thanos looks awesome. Listen, I'm excited about it. He is CGI, but it's still Brolin. It, feel, it feels like Brolin when you're watching it. Uh, I'm excited about what he's able to bring to the table. But when you see Black Panther, 
that to me is the way a villain should be in a comic book film. You'll you'll see what I mean when you see it. All right, we are primarily an awards podcast. Um, it's how we started, and uh, we still have to keep some discussion in this. But you'll see kind of why we um, drifted away from it slightly as we transition into the next conversation, which is the best director race. And unfortunately, with all of these um, Oscar categories this year, the, these races feel decided. So when we get to the point where we have to sort of discuss them, we list through the nominees and we talk about the wins that they have up until this point, and it feels like there's not a ton to debate. So let's get to the best director discussion, because as I said, we have the Oscars coming up on March 4th, and going for uh, the Oscar in the best director category this year is Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Christopher Nolan uh, for a film some of you might have heard about if you've listened <laughs> to the podcast once or twice called Dunkirk. Uh, Jordan Peele gets in for Get Out. Guillermo del Toro wins for the or wins. <laughs> Sorry, uh-huh. that's a Freudian slip. Uh, he's in it for The Shape of Water. And then Paul Thomas Anderson uh, for The Buttering of My Bread. Um, <laughs> and so far... Uh, well, I think Del Toro is the front runner because he won DGA most recently and a couple other big awards up to this point. Do you guys sort of see it that way also? I, I feel like DGA was the deciding factor. That was going to be the one that pretty much said this is either this race is done or this race is blown wide open. And uh, I'd say the word unfortunately only just because it's always more interesting whenever it's blown wide open. Unfortunately, it feels like the race is kind of already done. I still am excited about the fact that in this category, though, um, we have a female filmmaker when there was a push to really get some more recognition for female filmmakers. We have a first time uh, director, two first time directors in Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig, yeah. um, an African-American filmmaker. Like there is there's been a lot of lip service paid towards bringing diversity into the different categories. But the director branch, the director category really stepped up in terms of um, recognizing amazing storytellers and also getting some diversity into its category. So for that reason, I would love to see like it would blow my mind if someone like Jordan Peele were to take home a director uh, oh, yeah. for a for a I'd script be, that he ecstatic. wrote for a first time director. Yeah. Or for, for Greta Gerwig who did yeah. see the thing about Lady Bird. And there's been a lot of conversation about this um, in the circles, the debate, the awards is like, what is direction, right? Like, is there a lot of directing happening in Lady Bird um, versus say Dunkirk where there are, you know, bigger set pieces to manage and, mm. and, and Lady Bird is a more intimate film that's geared towards performances. And I mean, I understand that there are the different levels of directing, but how do the directors sort of weigh that when they vote? I, I don't know the answer to it. I think it's part of the interesting conversation. Yeah, I think, uh, well, first of all, yeah, Del Toro is going to win. That's no question. And I'm OK with that. I mean, Del Toro uh, and listen, I mean, you guys all know where I stand. I would love to see Nolan win. But considering the circumstances of where we are right now, uh, him, Del Toro winning the Oscar, I'm I'm OK with it. He's a phenomenal filmmaker. What he did with Shape of Water uh, is, is truly incredible. Uh, it's beautiful from every single standpoint, from the emotional quality of it to the cinematography, to the score. Uh, it's really just a movie lover's movie, a guy who's passionate about filmmaking and made a film that just kind of uh, – uh, stands as a testament to why uh, he uh, why he loves what he does. Uh, now, I will say this, and we've said this before on the podcast, this is one of the strongest and best director races I've seen ever at the Academy Awards. It really Awards. is. Yeah. And yeah. the yep. most exciting part to me about the nominations is the stories and the the, the situations that, that these directors are having to be put in now 
at luncheons and 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 press events and just kind of hearing them talk. I saw a photo today on my Instagram of Paul Thomas Anderson talking to Christopher Nolan, and I was like, this just blew my mind. I can't imagine what that conversation was like. Uh, Phantom Thread and 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 Dunkirk were two of my favorite movies of the year, and these are two guys who are champions of of celluloid and and, and using film and shooting on film, uh, and just to kind of see Nolan nerd out about. A Paul Thomas Anderson movie um, is really cool to me because it just kind of it brings him back down to a, a a a more human level in my mind because you know someone like Christopher Nolan uh, it, while he's still a human being clearly uh, he's on he's directing on such a masterful level that you kind of do put them on this <laughs> on this level you really do I mean I mean it is weird to think that Christopher Nolan is just one of us he's a well I, th- I think we forget that you know I think I mean? in order to forget be a that. successful director you have to be a movie fan. I, yeah. I, I interviewed Kevin Smith one time and I said, you can be a film fan without being a film director, but can you be a film director without being a film fan? He said, no, you no. can't not at least not a successful one. No, I mean, and so I think I, it, to me, like it's not out of, uh, out of the realm of possibility that like, you know, you put all these amazing directors in a room together, they're going to geek out about each other any yeah. more so than I think if you put us in a room with them. And I think that is, you're right. It is cool. To see that, yeah, I just there's so many times. It's weird. It's it's weird. Sorry, Sean. It's just it's just weird for me to see Nolan (laughs) kind of becoming a fan. It's weird. Like it's really it is kind of strange. But Paul Tom, what Paul Thomas Anderson did with Phantom Thread, and and we've discussed this in the show already. It's like that movie came out and no one was talking about it, and it it wasn't getting any award buzz. And I'm and I just I'm just so happy that it's now in some type of conversation because. It is an extraordinarily well-made movie that I'm hoping people get out and see in a theater. If, again, if you're listening to our podcast and you and you live somewhere within the United States and and and, and you're in maybe like an area like L.A. or or, or Silver Spring, Maryland, or wherever, it's, try and find it in 70 millimeter because it is it is it's a very rewarding experience and it's a movie that kind of again like Dunkirk and Get Out and all the movies that are nominated in the category just it makes you work. It makes you makes you work with the movie. It doesn't spoon feed you stuff. You have to work with these films, which is why I love them. So far, Phantom Thread's only earned 14 million. I know. At the box office. I know, man. I don't understand. I mean, but it is a hard sell. It's, it's, a, it's a dressmaker in London in the 1950s going in a relationship. Now you can't, but you can't, how do you tease that movie without kind of like, it's hard to explain why that movie is so great in a 30 second spot. Um, so I just don't know that that's a movie that's, it's obviously not mainstream. But no, but here's what it's sold on. It's sold on Paul Thomas Anderson and it's sold on Daniel Day Lewis's final performance. And but I don't think I don't think the people... average person cares about that. Honestly, I don't think because I, I, I noticed that uh, one, I, I bet you if I were to walk onto the streets of Chicago right now and ask 100 people name one Paul Thomas Anderson movie, I would not be surprised if 100 people couldn't do it. I and honestly, I don't think people care about Daniel Day Lewis's last performance. And I, not, at least not the average moviegoer, at least not right. the person that, that goes to a movie once every two or three months. But no one's going to the movies anymore for movie stars. We all know that. I mean, Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible is going to do well because it's a Mission Impossible film, not because Tom Cruise is in it. Tom Cruise releases a a movie like American Made. No one goes to see it, uh, even though he did all the flying in that movie too. Um, But it's, you know, he did. He landed these planes and took them off and, that was part of the, the the narrative for the promotion for that film, and no one went and saw it. So it's like you know, unless you're Denzel or or maybe even DiCaprio. No, but even Denzel, like, like Roman J. Israel, didn't do great. Roman J. Israel is, is was a little bit of a fluke. Generally speaking, people mm-hmm. go see the new Denzel movie. It's like That's it's not right. even it's not even like 
It's not even like, uh, you know, they're going to pay for Man on Fire or whatever. They're like, I want to take it to the Denzel movie. Or I want to take yeah. Like, DiCaprio makes so few films. Uh, and then every time he hits one, it, it hits. Revenant yeah. crushed. Wolf of Wall Street crushed. Um, yeah. Jagger was my, obviously didn't do too well, but uh, it wasn't that great. But, I mean, I just, I just think that there's very few actors that people are going to watch now because of their name. It's not Tom Hanks used to be that way. I don't, I don't, I don't know if not I know he is anymore. No. I, I, think, I think he's on an upswing. I, I think he's made – some good mm. enough movies. I think, I think that, that it's gotta be, um, the right material for someone like Tom, like something like a, like a Sully or even like the post, which is the post is doing pretty well. Sully did what 68 it is. million. 68 yeah. million. For, and we got, we yeah. got, we got to get into a discussion at some point, maybe next week. I don't want to derail about 15, 17 of Paris. Once you guys see it, because we have to talk about what happened, uh, with, cause the, uh, the same guy who makes Sully and American sniper making this film and we'll, we'll, we'll get into uh, detail later on, but we don't got make us see that. Just, don't just, make no, us see well, that. I mean, I you're, you're also telling me like, keep in mind, like, I don't particularly like, uh, I mean, Sully was fine, but it was fine. Not, it had nothing to do with because of, of Eastwood's direction, but, but I wasn't a big American sniper fan. I don't think Clint Eastwood's that great of a director. And I know that's, I know that's I a blasphemy amongst sniper. a lot of people, but I don't think he's that great of a director. He doesn't do oh, anything for me. Eastwood is a very simplistic filmmaker. I don't think he's a great director. I think he's a good director. Um, I mean, the, he's made some very good movies. We can all agree on Mystic River and Unforgiven. Uh, and I thought America Sniper was fantastic. I thought that Sully was very, very well done, mainly because of the way it was edited and the way the story was told. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, I would put him in a good director category, but I wouldn't put him anywhere near the level of the people we're talking about right now, PTAs, the Nolans, uh, the Tarantinos yeah. of the world, things like that. So yeah, I, I just, I can you guys do me a favor and just see that movie so we can talk about it. So I'm very curious to break that movie down. I know it's a random they don't movie. Want to. Just show yeah. trust me on this. Just, <laughs> just, just, just trust me. Like homework. Yeah, All right, yeah, wipe yeah. the slate, wipe the slate clean of everything that we know about the best director category up until this point. You're handed those five directors and those five films, and you can tell me who wins. Um, who are you picking? No one. Oh, wait, you're saying, no, he's saying who will win. Yeah. Who, who would win? Like, we like, don't know. Like, DGA oh, doesn't matter. Oh, Golden oh, Globes oh, doesn't matter. Those right. are the five names, and there's no, you know nothing about any momentum or anything. Like, this is who's going to win because this is who's won already. I'm saying these are the five. Um, no. You have to look at those five and tell me who, yeah. who wins. No I, yeah, I put money on no one. But, but, I, yeah. I say, uh, well, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Hold on. Not who is going to win, who you would want to win of those five. No, no one. Yeah. See, I think it's Jordan Peele. See, I, I, want, I, I want Peele to, to win. win too. Uh, yeah. I want Peele to win screenplay. Screenplay. But I want no one to win. I would rather see Peele win over Del Toro. No question. As, as would I. Uh, as would and I. I think, like, maybe real quick, if we have time, why don't we just sure. rank? Why don't we rank these five from uh, best to worst? Not, not that any of them are bad. <laughs> But best to worst in regards to uh, the five films they made. So where it's hard. No, it's, it's not. hard. All right. So I, I no, because I, because I don't want to pick a fifth. Like I yeah. I don't think well, that there's a worst. Pick, That's if, hard. If, you pick, if you pick first through fourth, then you then you're gonna. Five's still good though. All right, but real quick. So so Sean, yeah. if you're looking at the five directing categories and you're yeah. ranking them personally, right? Go go from five to one. I'm sorry, one to five. Five being uh, the least favorite. From direct and uh, from a director's standpoint. Yeah. Or just overall. Just overall. Well, then I put because shape was was really high on my top ten. So for okay. me, it would go shape, get out, Dunkirk, Phantom Thread, Ladybird. Okay, that's fine. And, and again, five is still a great movie. It's just that yeah. we're ranking 
these five. Jake? Yeah. We're, we're ranking the films or we're ranking the, the, the job? Overall the films. films overall. Dunkirk 1, Get Out 2, uh, Shape 3, Phantom 4, Lady Bird 5. Dunkirk right, 1, go. Dunkirk 1, Get Out 2, Phantom Thread 3, Shape 4, Lady Bird 5. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm okay with any of these five winning. I want, I want Jordan to, I know Nolan's not going to win, so I want Jordan to beat Del Toro. He doesn't, though. I, I think I, they give him, I, I could see them pulling like a Tarantino and giving him screenplay and then sort of going like, like that's what, there, there you go for now. But you know what, what Del Toro does with Shape of Water, though? And this is, I, I give a lot of credit to directors who established their voice, and, and the Del Toro voice is all over yeah. Shape of Water. Like that world yeah. that he created, that 40s noir look, you know, that that weird gothic, oh, yeah. um, still relatable, um, taking this fairy tale and turning it into something that's very clearly his type of movie. Um, all these filmmakers that we talk about on this podcast um, have a distinct way of telling their stories. And Del Toro has this. And I think he's made the most accessible film of his career because a lot of times you can go into his films and they get a little bit too weird. And it might turn off general audiences. I think people, and this is the one where a lady has sex with a fish, but it's still accessible. I think people can understand the the themes uh, that are in this movie. I get why a lot of people are connecting with it. But if you, when you look at what A, Nolan did with Dunkirk and what, um, what Jordan Peele, which again, it's a movie that you don't appreciate until you see it numerous times. Like there isn't an ounce of fat on Get Out at all. Yeah. Like he that's, made that's all good. of yeah. the right decisions in the editing room, which is impossible for a first timer to do because they have not done it before. Yeah. So they yeah. don't know how this plays. He mentions, he tells stories about how he was terrified watching this movie the first time with an audience because he just didn't know how it was going to play. I just, don't under, I, just, I just don't understand if you're a director and you watch a film like Dunkirk, how you not give that best director. I just, I don't, I just, yeah. I just don't, I don't I get that. I, I, and my thing is, it's just one of those things, and it's very weird. And it's, uh, I mean, Nolan has literally no momentum here for some odd reason. Um, right. I think it was just more of like, hey, you got a nomination, it's all good, right? All right. And, it's and like, so, Kevin, listen, so we're, we're going to use this to transition into, into our, our Nolan conversation because Kevin and I are on different pages when it comes to Nolan. We're just, <laughs> Kevin loves Nolan, he loves him, right? We all, and we I, all, we all love Nolan. I, I want to no, say, I, I, I I don't want, I, I'm not the token Nolan guy here. It's like, it's not like, like I, I love him and you guys hate him. They're, they're, the only reason why there's this much of a disconnect in regards to our feelings currently is because I was obsessed with Dunkirk and you guys thought it was great, but you guys didn't think it was the number one film of the year. So, and that's totally fine. And it's just, I mean, there, there's no, well, no, no. Cause Dunkirk didn't even make my top 10. Well, that's cause like, you're wrong. I mean, it's okay. That's okay though, Sean. It's okay Let's to be see, wrong sometimes. Just make, it's okay. This is, to make and this is what's going to get us into, this is what's going to get us into <laughs> our conversation. So we all agree that Del Toro is going to win for Shape of Water. And so we can right. move on to our Nolan conversation because right. I like Nolan, right? I like him as a filmmaker, but I think he's too far up of his, his own rear end now at this point. What? Like, oh, I think that he, this is, is going to be fun. Even I like, I like Nolan's earlier stuff because I thought so. So let's talk about the films of Christopher Nolan. This is where the, the gloves this will start. This is going to be a lot of fun. And I wrote his I filmography know. in I our know notes. That comment comes from the, like, what, what about rear? He's up his rear end. What does that mean? Nolan tries too hard often to be too clever with his formats. Yeah, with I, his disagree with that, I disagree with that. Okay, I disagree. Let me finish. Since. Since Inception, um, 
and and honestly, it's it's a theme that he's always explored in his films, all the way back to Memento. He got a ton of praise for Memento, which is a movie that basically tells itself in reverse. Mm-hmm. And he detoured slightly with Insomnia, but it was still a movie that played with what you what you what the audience knows is happening versus what he, the director, knows what's happening. And I think that that shows up in pretty much all of his films, even in his Batman movies. You know, he plays around with the timeline a lot, and and you knowing, um, trying to keep up with what he's telling you is happening, and and that really comes to fruition in Inception. But that's where I think that he loses a firm grasp on how to tell a story. And that's what I really don't like about Interstellar. Like, I don't like Interstellar. And I know that you like that a lot. But I think that in those movies, I think Nolan too often gets too wrapped up in trying to tell a story in a creative way. And this is what why I don't think Dunkirk, why I don't love Dunkirk as much as you did, because I think he could tell that exact same story and he doesn't need the three time segments. Yes, he does. He doesn't need them. 100 percent no, But see, you you're tell the that story the same way, but when when they finally intersect, I feel it's Nolan being like, eh, look, see, see what I did there? See, see how the timelines intersect? I'm, I I'm Nolan. That's what I do. Completely disagree. Couldn't disagree with you more. Um, and here's why. Because like, first of all, you're claiming the way you're claiming is that, is that he's doing it to essentially be pretentious and say that, you know, let me be as creative as I can. I completely disagree with that because here's the problem. Here's the problem with movie making today is that we all follow a complete and standard format of how a film needs to be done. So for example, a war film needs to be told this way. We need to have a backstory. We need to have people riding home to their loved ones. We need to have all this stuff because that's the way war movies have always been made. We need to make them in that same structure because we need to spoon feed the audience so they care about this person, this person, this person, this person. So when that person dies, we understand why and we care. What's wrong with flipping the script? Uh, and I don't, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a flexing of a pretentious muscle. I think it's a way to uh, immerse an audience into a a four, an hour, uh, what is it, a hundred and six minute uh, intense uh, experiment and telling in the three timelines gives us the land, air and sea aspect of it. How else do you tell the audience that these three aspects were coming together? Because Tom Hardy's plane's only going to last an hour. What do you cut back to him in different days on different flights? Like it makes perfect sense why he jumped around in the three different timelines. It was to, it was to give you a scope of what that day meant what Tom Hardy's character had to do to fight off the planes, what uh, Mark Rylance had to do to save uh, the, the soldiers on, in his boat, and then what the guys on the beach had to do to, to essentially keep themselves from getting shot down by these German pilots. So why, what's wrong with giving a scope like that or trying something different? I don't think it's to flex a pretentious muscle. I think it's to, to exercise the audience and, and actually make them work for a, uh, for a chance versus just telling them how to feel. I agree with what you're saying, Jake. I swear to God, you're next. I agree with what you're saying. <laughs> But the thing about Nolan is that he does it for every film, so it's not special anymore. Well, but but if it, but if it's his thing, if it's the way he tells stories, uh, I mean, I don't think that you could put Interstellar, Dark Knight, uh, uh, and the Batman films in the same time structure as what Dunkirk has done. Uh, I think Dunkirk, Inception, I would compare Dunkirk's timeline more to Inception than anything else. Inception had three different or multi-different layers of different times and speeds moving at different times, which was brilliant. I mean, God, I mean, that that truck, uh, that van blowing off the back of that bridge in slow-mo as things are happening layers deep. I mean, that's what I would compare Dunkirk to. Um, but, But if it works, it works. And I think that how else do you give the audience a scope that he gave you in Dunkirk 
in the amount of time he does it, which is an hour and 46 minutes, which is unheard of for a World War II film. Uh, and what's wrong with an exercise in intensity and immersion? What's wrong with that? And it's, an, it's a completely experimental thing that just really kind of worked. If you see it two, three, four more times, like it just, it, it just hits you every single moment, in my opinion. Jake, where are you at? I am somewhere in between in that I would argue that watching a Nolan movie is a little bit like doing work. Like you have to, I agree with you. You do have to follow it and it challenges you to stay up and pay attention and don't look at your phone and, and really follow this. But I'd argue that it's only in some of his films. Did I walk away feeling like it was worth the effort? Like I put, I felt like I really had to pay attention to inception and when everything came together and the dream within the dream, within the dream, within the dream, and it all sort of made sense at the end. I went, oh, that was worth it. Following Memento going backward was totally – even I'd argue like Prestige, which was kind of jumbled around a little bit. When it was over, I went, oh, like I totally see what he was going for now. That was totally worth it. My argument against him doing it for Dunkirk – and I say this without knowing what else he could have done. But when it was over – and granted, I love Dunkirk. It was on my top ten list. But my problem with the editing is that when it was over, I went, oh, okay. Oh, OK, I, I guess like I, I didn't feel like I came to this like, oh, my God, it was worth me not knowing what was going on for 90 minutes so that it all came together. Like it just by the time I figured out really kind of what he was doing and then sort of and then when it all came together in that big final moment, it was just sort of like a OK, I see what you did there. All right. But I, I mean, that's fine. I think a lot of people wanted to feel a certain emotion when they watched Dunkirk. And I think Dunkirk was more of uh, was more of a a ride or an experience of putting not a ride, but putting you into that moment and allowing you to just be with these. So here's the thing in Dunkirk, when you're in battle, when these guys are in battle, they don't necessarily, they're confused too. No one knows what the heck's going on. I mean, there's bombs going off. Why can't the audience be in that mindset? Why can't we just be like, like not confused, but like, why can't we just be trying to figure it out with the characters? Why do we need to be told how to feel about something? Like, listen, a lot of filmmaking is exposition telling us what we're supposed to feel about a certain moment. Why not just, I mean, again, and a lot of this is things that Nolan has said about what Dunkirk is, and I completely agree with it. And, I, and I've watched Dunkirk nine times, and, I, and I, it's just the experience of it is unlike anything I've ever felt before in a movie theater. Did I walk away emotionally connected to every character I watched in that film? No. I walked away thinking that I just I just understand more what it was like to be there that day. And I think that there is a, a beauty to that. And and like I will I will never be at on the beach of Dunkirk during World War II, but I feel like that's what it was like to be there. That that do you ever get the confusion. Do you ever get the impression that as a filmmaker, Nolan's trying to be too clever for his own good? No, yes. I, I yes. do not. And what's funny about Inception, by the way, is Inception should have been more emotional. But I and I love Inception beyond belief and it made my jaw hit the floor. But there is n- there there is something missing in Inception emotionally that that didn't just I didn't feel overwhelmed by the story of what DiCaprio was doing to get home. And I love Inception. It yeah. was one of my favorite movies of all time, it's a five out of five. I love that movie, but that movie is more mind blowing from a technical standpoint and a storytelling standpoint. But nothing ever fully grabbed me emotionally. In but why does he get a pass for not putting emotion into Dunkirk, but he doesn't get a pass for not putting emotion into Inception? Which I'm, I'd argue to me, Inception has more emotion than than Dunkirk. Hundred percent. But that's that's the point. 
it's Dunkirk is not supposed to be an experience where you're emotionally connected to every single character. There's 400, you're supposed to be thinking about 400,000 people, right? I'm not saying you're not emotionally invested in Dunkirk. What I'm saying is you are given a scope of 400,000 people. You can't just focus and hone in on one person. I know Finn Whitehead is kind of the lead and he kind of carries you through that story. Inception is, is set up as an emotional story. This gentleman lost his wife. She's dead. Uh, he's trying to deal with her. He has kids. He's trying to get home. These are typical tropes of emotion that a filmmaker gives you to feel for a character so that when he gets to the end of the story, you're emotionally with that person. With Dunkirk, it was completely different in my opinion. I'm going to argue that Nolan hasn't made an emotional movie yet. I, I don't think the answer to that is Interstellar. The answer to that is Interstellar. That, that's why it's his best movie. Clearly his best film. Are we, are we going I, into this? I actively dislike Interstellar. Oh, I think Interstellar. Wait, Interstellar. We, we, haven't, we haven't said what our favorite uh, Nolan are. We, are we going into our favorite Nolan movies? Why don't we go into our favorite Nolan movies at this point? Because now we've kind of laid out where we sort of stand in terms of his filmography as a whole. And um, I want to start with uh, Jake. Jake, you yes. tell me your favorite Nolan movie. Kevin, you're going to go last. I want Kevin to go last. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite Nolan movie is The Dark Knight. Okay. Uh, it is a movie in which I think from the, the literal first frame to the literal last frame, uh, absolute perfection. It is a film that transcends the genre in ways that at that time we weren't really aware was possible. I right. mean, even like to the point, I mean, he, you know, obviously it's the second movie in a trilogy. I know a lot of people that, that still think that for some reason, the dark Knight is the first movie in his, in his trilogy, but obviously it's not, um, delivered arguably what will probably forever stand as the greatest comic book performance of all time. Um, and made me rethink what entire genre of film was capable of. And I just thought it just, it's, and I know a lot of people that say, Oh, it's, it's, it's starting to show its age. I completely disagree. I rewatched it not too long ago. I think it is just absolutely brilliant. I think Wally Fister's cinematography, the the interrogation scene where he just uses the one light bulb, I think is one of the most just beautifully shot sequences in movies. And uh, it really, to me, shows just how one hell of a director he really is. The Dark Knight is, is, is one of the greatest cinematic experiences I've ever had in a movie theater, no question. Seeing that in 70 millimeter IMAX, just the use of a a camera that was mo 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 mostly ever used for science museum uh, uh, type movies was unbelievable. Uh, the Dark Knight, uh, to me, uh, it does show a little bit of age. And I think that when I saw it, it, it blew my mind. Um, it has problems though. Uh, looking like back what? on it now, uh, Maggie Joan Hall's casting, not good. Uh, I thought that uh, Bale's Batman voice is terrible. Oh, come like, on. Listen, here's the thing, here's the thing. Christian Bale is not a great Batman. He is a what? great, he's a great Bruce Wayne. And I think a lot of people- uh, I would argue the then, then you've got to knock, if you, if you were going to knock his voice, then you've got to knock Nolan because I have no. a hard time believing that Nolan didn't tell oh. him to do that. Or at least he was okay with it because he put I'm it not, in his movie. I'm not saying Nolan's not a, is not a flawed filmmaker. Every filmmaker is flawed. Hitchcock was flawed. Wells was flawed. Kubrick was flawed. But I'm just saying the Dark Knight, when you look back on it, it has some issues, but The Dark Knight was so great because of Ledger. It was great because of the cinematography. It was also great because of what he did practically. I, I have studied The Dark Knight Blu-ray like it was a textbook. I've watched the truck flip footage, the way they did that, 
in a, in a parking lot, flipping that truck over and over again before they really pulled it off in the in the streets of Chicago. Um, just every single thing about that film is j- on a level that we've never seen before. And as Jake said, I completely agree. It transcends the genre. The movie is more heat than comic book, in my opinion. Uh, it is beyond belief. Uh, I, I'll never forget like getting that Blu-ray and pausing it. The sickest shot in that movie is the moment when we see Ledger out of makeup during the parade for the mayor and he has the gun in his hand and they're getting ready to take out um, Oldman, right? This is the shootout when they, when they shoot Oldman. And there's this really quick shot of Ledger without makeup on and just the scars. Mm. And it scared me beyond belief. Like that scene blew my mind. Um, but I just think that Dark Knight, it was very, very, very good. I just think it has problems. I, I, I think every movie has problems and I, I will never, ever, ever, Come not even a percent close to making a film like that ever in my career, ever in my life. Um, so, you know, you can't look at it that way. But Dark Knight's a great movie. I don't think it's his best, though. It's definitely his top five. I think Batman Begins is better than Dark Knight. I agree. Batman Begins is a better movie. It, a- it actually is. Batman Begins is a better Sean, movie. I was on your side no. with this whole like, convoluted timeline thing. You're on your own with I'm, McCarthy. I'm now. like picking and is. choosing my little hand grenades to drop in the middle of this Batman Nolan conversation. Has, how, it's, it's, it's better, in, how is Batman movie. Begins better because than the Dark Knight? Here, because here is where... Um, oh, it is not is, a better story. Yeah, this is. is where I started to get tired of Nolan with his um, I'm being clever for clever sake. There's a lot of little plot asides in Dark Knight that when you rewatch them, they don't amount to like, you, you watch them and you're like, what is happening here? That guy who thinks he's going to expose who Bruce Wayne is, right. um, who like all, and then when the Joker uh, all of a sudden says, you got to kill this guy and they're trying to get him out of there. All of the stuff with those, uh, because it was raising morality with the, questions with the cops who are buried in like when, when, um, uh, Gary Oldman's getting the text and he's yeah. talking to the guy in the car and he's like, oh, are you the guy who's on this? Hey, where were you that night of the thug? All of that stuff, I don't really, I can't even process. When he has to go to Hong Kong because they stole the, the guy's money. <laughs> yeah. And then like, all this. It was so elaborate. I was like, lame, like jumping into I was like, it. Nolan, like, slow yeah. down. But this is why Dark Knight will never be better than Batman Begins because the ending with the with the people on the boat, with the, Terrible. are you going to blow this up? It's, it's awful. And yeah. Batman Begins Bad. has... It, it's such a like with the narrows and, and getting isolated um, and Batman having to get to the narrows to get the the, the nerve gas that Scarecrow releases. Um, that's just a better version of like the Gotham of like a dark sort of Gotham. Um, it's comic booky. It is. Um, but it showed to me how you can do an origin of a hero in a way that was grounded and realistic. And I was like, that was the first time where I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, this is how Bruce Wayne trained. Like, this is I actually get it. I understand. And the card flip of the Joker is the best ending of a superhero movie ever. It's one of the best endings of almost any movie ever, even if it never paid off. It was for what it was in the moment. It was incredible. I We've had sightings of this guy. He leaves this calling card. You flip it. It's the Joker. I still get goosebumps thinking about it. Dude, it the, dark, the Dark Knight is contains some of the greatest scenes in the history of cinema. There's no question whatsoever. Uh, it is a great movie uh, overall. But when you when you sit back and really look at it, when you first experience The Dark Knight, it is such a mind-blowing experience that it is kind of like you kind of look past a lot of its flaws. And I think like a lot of people did that when they experienced it in theaters. But again, every movie has flaws. And I want to say one thing here. We're only, we're picking apart a great film. I mean, like every yes. movie, I mean, like, like Dark Knight was a six out of five when I reviewed the movie. I love the Dark Knight. Um, so and, and, it's a great movie. But, so but, 
I know, but listen, here's the thing. Like, <laughs> but like when we're picking apart a movie like this, we're also complimenting how great it is because we're finding thing, little things that kind of tick us off on multiple viewings. Um, and I, I just, can't wait to talk to your movie about the importance of corn. But let's, I, I'm very much looking we'll forward get, to we'll that. Get, we'll get to that. Right. We'll get to that. Let me go because we, we should have done a whole podcast for this. Uh, I my, love okay. Dark Knight. I love yes. Dark Knight. But I think Batman Begins is a, is a better film overall. And Ledger is the greatest villain in the history of comic book films in The Dark Knight, but Rises was not good. Oh, Rises was says, good. I love Rises. Rises was not good. You're man. not good. Uh, Don't I watch Jake says, <laughs> Jake says Nolan's best film is The Dark Knight. Okay. Um, I say it's The Prestige. I oh, think I the, do prestige, love the Prestige. Yes. Yeah. The Prestige, yeah, I, I, yeah. The prestige to me, me is between those two, so I'm, I'm with you. That's the one where Nolan um, had a secret to protect. Um, from the audience, Nolan loves in all of his films to be two steps ahead of the audience. And he loves to dole out, here's here's where I'm gonna let you know this little bit, here's where I'm gonna let you know this little bit. And it, the prestige even loses its way a little bit when you get to the Tesla stuff, when Hugh Jackman goes to try and find some some secret to find a trick that, that's gonna best uh, Christian Bale's character. But the reveal of what Bale's trick is, and I don't even wanna say it here, um, is so, good. so great. So it's good. So great. And 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 no one saw it coming, you know, and it was and when it would when it paid off, it was so satisfying. It was. And that's that is the root of my Christopher Nolan hang up is that like when he reveals what he's been hiding the whole time, is it satisfying or is it not? And more often than not, I get the reveal and I'm like, oh. Oh, all right. But but you're also why are you putting a reveal as an expectation? Dunkirk does not reveal uh, anything, no, no, no. not hiding anything from you. No, 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 totally. Yeah, oh, but no, it's still it's leading toward a moment. Right, but the moment is the saving of four hundred thousand people, which which is awesome, and it happens. But like, so uh, many of his okay, but like Interstellar has a reveal, reveal, and Inception has a reveal, and all the three of his Batman movies have reveals to them. And Memento did like his movies in general are building sure. towards some big secret that he's somewhat protected but the batman not, films didn't have any yeah, it was from like mystery box you know it's not like that essentially but so anyway i think it's the prestige i know i that's I, I i for me i had to try to decide between the prestige and the dark knight um so i i'm with you on that and i'll probably wake up in the middle of the night and go oh no it's the prestige and then i'll wake up in the morning and go well, no, it's dark and Knight." and so. it also had one of his endings too that that have multiple interpretations but if you go back and watch it a number of times because it shows that little hugh jackman clone in the tank and you're like yeah. oh well, who is that if you dropped into the thing yeah that all of it the payoffs yeah. were, were amazing so the Kevin, prestige yeah. the prestige is definitely one of his best films i mean it is i i would even go as far as say the prestige is a better film than the dark knight only because it just feels more no, I really, I really, listen, here's the thing, like, dark, like we all Thank said you. this a million times, Dark Knight's a great movie. I, I have no problem, but my favorite movie of Nolan's is a yes. movie you guys don't like. So Tell uh, me about the corn. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I like Interstellar, but I think Interstellar is very flawed. I okay. actually dislike, I actually dislike it. I will go yeah. on record and say I dislike it. Kevin, go ahead. The floor is, is yours. Interstellar was the first time I ever cried in an Nolan movie. No question. It, it was the first, it was the movie that hit me the How hardest. How many times have you cried in a Nolan movie? That was, I mean, I think I got teary eyed when I watched some of the cinematography in Dunkirk, but like emotionally, like something that hit me, uh, the McConaughey scene watching his kids grow up on video is one of the greatest scenes I've ever seen in a movie. I'm sorry. That scene just, 
Oh my god, it like blew me away. I don't know. I don't know why. Did you guys not like that scene? That scene is just incredible. Yeah, I had no you connection. Can make, to you can it. make fun of it all you want. Uh, how do you, as a father, I have connection to that moment? Could you imagine sitting there, missing twenty four or five years of your kid's life and watching them grow up in videos? Listen, I will tell how you. you put yourself. I, I promised shoes. you that I would go back and revisit Interstellar before this talk, and I did. And and that scene is. It is an emotional scene it, or or it's it's a cold director trying to do an emotional scene and he comes close. Nolan is a cold director. He's a technical wizard, but I don't think that he has the ability, which is so funny because like the other director that we talk about the most on this podcast is Spielberg, who is all heart. He's total emotion, you know, and and it's yep. so funny that we celebrate both of their styles because I, to me, they couldn't be more contradictory. So, I mean, Sean, but I'd argue that like that that particular scene that Kevin's talking about should hit you the hardest because right. you have kids. Yeah. Right. And so I feel like if it doesn't hit you instantly, then something's wrong. Because there's so much else to the the puzzle pieces coming together that I I get I get knocked out of Interstellar before I even get to that point. Of really? Like getting oh yeah. I can't it's so um I wanna watch I, and I like science fiction, but it's so Oh, it's too convoluted, like with the different planets that they're trying to get to. And there's that I, I, length. It's I think it's a poorly edited film. I, I oh. think that there there is a moment where it goes from he's at NASA learning about what's going on to 30 seconds later. He's like being launched into space. And I just went, what happened? Like, I, how how did we go from there? Like, it, it felt like there were moments in that movie where it felt like to me. Warner Brothers made him cut it down, but also in the back of my mind, I go, well, it's Nolan's. No one makes Nolan cut his movies down. So then I went, well, did he just, is it just poorly edited then? Because I can't imagine that Warner Brothers would tell him how long his movies can or cannot be. So I just think there are some real, like there are some sequences that to me felt too rushed. And there are some, some, some sequences that I thought like, all right, come on. Like I, I get it. All right, let's move. Let's move on. Let's go. I, I the galactic think- bookcase is something Murph. that I just can't, Murph. I can't. I, I can't it. do it. I can't I do it. it. It's his. I think it's his most personal film. I think that he hits. He checks off every box for me in that movie. Technically, emotionally, uh, intensity. I would watch the space, the the docking scene for five hours on a loop. Oh, that no is a great question. scene. That I would watch. I would watch every. Every beautiful shot of them flying around, like the miniature work he did there, it was totally throwback to Kubrick. Um, the the way the, the just the way he made that film, uh, creating a world for the actors, so they looked out their windows and saw images of space, and just making it realistic and immersive for the audience. Um, you know, if I, they were Tom Cruise, they would have actually gone to space. Right, right. right. <laughs> I just think that that scene when he walks in to see Ellen Burstyn at the end is so devastating. Uh, it is just like. To me, the the scale of that film, the idea, the scope of everything he created when they get to that water planet and all that time passes, I just found myself just like in another world. I, I felt like I was in heaven. Like I was just like I was I was just I was just like blown away that he was able to even like keep a scope around this. How do you build a scope where our father loses twenty four years of his life uh, with his kids and then finds the footage of that or? visiting his daughter as his daughter is on her, her deathbed. I mean, it is just, oh my God, how do you write something like that? I mean, it, there is me- no question um, that, you know, th- I appreciate Nolan's intelligence, the intelligence that he brings and and the craft that he brings to his films, for sure. But it's really felt like we were talking about Moon and there's that moment in Moon where Sam Rockwell's character calls back home and realizes how much time has passed 
with his daughter. Um, it was a daughter or son. I forget. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now, too. But yeah, I know you're talking about. And that scene to me hit me. And it's the same concept of you, you didn't realize how much time passed. But not you've been on a mission. Time, though. No, it wasn't 25 years. And then seeing I mean, I, I'm shocked that you didn't find that scene heartbreaking. Like, I, 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 I can't imagine. Like, I'm not even a father. And all I did was put myself in that in those shoes and imagine what that would be like. I can't. No, but I'm with Jake in the fact that I don't think it's edited together. Like it, it takes me out of it in the first half hour that I think it's really choppy, that they're rushing through a lot of those scenes on Earth to get him into the shuttle. And then once they're in the shuttle, I didn't ever really had a clear grasp of the mission because they keep changing it. Remember, they keep deciding what planet they're going to try to go to because of the time that they're trying to get to. And it's it's a movie that to me feels like it's it thinks it's too much. It's too smart for its own good. I love the Michael Caine reveal. By the way, is Jake frozen? Is, is am I am I seeing I that? Okay, he's frozen yeah. on my end. Just a heads uh, up. Um, but but, uh, no, but I'm yeah. still I'm still just trying to comprehend this whole like you don't like the Dark Knight thing. <laughs> I love no, the hate, Dark Knight. No, no, no. You Jake, hate, hate the Dark Knight. We actually hate the Dark Knight. Hate the Dark Knight for the corn movie, man. <laughs> see, dear, why are you? See, the thing is, like, you're that's mean. You're just like simplifying oh, it to a corn. I, I, like, oh, I'm I, like with the dark, the internet, with the dark night. I actually gave, I thought, legit, legit criticisms. Um, but you're just like, oh, it's the corn movie. It no, is. no, uh, no. But my, my, my problem is, is honestly, mostly the editing. Uh, I feel like that, and, and I know Nolan well enough to know this isn't the case. But, but Interstellar feels like a chopped down version of a better movie. Oh, and man. I just, Why do you I don't, call it the corn movie? I forget. What does there, corn have to do with it? The corn. Yeah, Jake, go ahead and explain it. That was the – wasn't that the only crop that was left? So, like, everything has to be corn. Everything they eat has to be corn, and they drive through corn, and they and they eat corn, and that, that's the only crop that has survived. <laughs> Jake makes, <Jay> makes it <laughs> sound so dumb, and it's not. Like, Jake it's, is just, it's, it's, tell me I'm wrong. Jake, Jake, like, Jake is just simplifying this movie into the like the, into corn terms, and corn is like an aspect of the story, but it's not like it's not the whole movie. And like the whole film you can say is that a, it's corny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Earth, not, corn, corn I think, think Dunkirk has every element of what makes Nolan so special as a filmmaker. I think the Zimmer score is top of the line. It, the church organs were brilliantly used. What, um, what's that piece called, the docking scene? I, I That's that's one of my favorite Zimmer pieces. Off the top of my head, I can't remember the name of the. It was, of the it's, of you know what I'm talking about, though, right? It's so oh, good, yeah. that, that oh, docking here, scene. Hear it in okay. my mind. Yeah. I want to I want to end this conversation on this question, and I also want to turn it over to everybody else too. Um, but if so, Nolan's nominated for the first time for Dunkirk. Yeah. Um, what movie should he have been? What What movie should he have won for before this? Ooh, I honestly, I I think Dark Knight, Interstellar, and I don't think he should have won prior to this. I think that this is this is the first what? time. Isn't that the trick question done. then? Well, I'm just saying, I think that Dunkirk is the movie he should have been nominated for. Dude, this is finally it. This I think you got, I think we all need to watch Interstellar together. I, and I think, and I think we can cry together. We can watch. <laughs> oh, we, well, we won't be crying. That's for sure. <laughs> we can, we can, like, seriously. I may cry if you make me watch it. <laughs> uh, how are you not devastated by that Ellen Burstyn moment at the end? How did that not devastate you? Could you he, imagine he, walking He's with her for like 30 seconds. And how could like, you not? No. Go, go, go find, go find could, Anne Hathaway. Could you like, imagine, okay. Sean, could you imagine walking into a room and your son is like 90 years old on, on, on his deathbed? Like, could you, like, how, could you imagine what that would feel like? Think about it's that. too far or, or more importantly, it's could you imagine leaving your son? <laughs> you, like, you, you walk in and your son's 90 and he's like, ah, get out of here. I'm going to well, die she, anyway. She and you just really leave. About 
thing. I felt like when I came out of Interstellar that 90 years had passed and I was going to go home <laughs> and my son was going to have a beard, a long oh, beard, man. and his, a family of his own. Well, and he well. would say, thanks for stopping by my <laughs> hospital bed. Go find go the find girl Kevin. that you left on another yeah. planet. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you? Why don't you and Jake just go have a cloud atlas party, and then and, and everybody else and I will just we'll just hang hey, out and watch at least, it. At least the editing of Cloud Atlas oh, makes sense. God, Cloud That's... Atlas was so bad. How there dare were like, you? Sir? Were like, cloud you know, Atlas is a masterpiece. There were, like, there were six stories in there, I think. Only three of them were good. The rest of them were like, I don't understand how that where that thought process comes from. That's still from. a better ratio than some of Dunkirk. <laughs> wait, wait, Dunkirk. Yeah. Everything was great. Every yeah, element of it was great. But Interstellar, the cinematography, oh my God, every piece of that movie is so good. You have anyway. all heard our picks, um, and now we want to hear your picks, actually. We want to put social media to the test for this podcast. You've made it this far. You've heard our debate over Nolan, and we want you to use a hashtag on Twitter. Tell us what your favorite Christopher Nolan movie is, and use a hashtag, hashtag Nolan Blend. And we will use all the answers that are using the hashtag Nolan Blend. Tell us what you think it is. We will accumulate the number of responses that we get from the readers. And the next week we will weigh in and see which um, which of us you guys more closely agree with. Um, we got to wrap oh, up. We by went, the way, we over. Yes. by the way, how have we not even talked about TARS yet? OK, TARS is one of the, my favorite characters in, in, in recent movies. Like that character was incredible and it was practical. On the same page. Oh, my God. Character. I love TARS so much. Such an awful I mean, character. How is he an awful character? He was such a great character. Like everything about it, the practicality of it. His, I thought it was funny. The whole bit about the percentage of humor. I thought it was hilarious. It, Nolan humor is like when someone tells a joke and you're like, ha, ha. Uh, <laughs> that was a humorous line, Mr. Nolan. Wait, 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 wait. But Jake, 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 going back to Dark Knight for a second, you do realize like, what, what your thought process is on, on, on the boat scene. You know, that's a bad scene. That's we know a great that. scene. Oh, that's, that's, that, that's, why there's, that's why I love the Dark Knight, because it raises so many like, moral <laughs> questions. Like, like does the, this whole idea of, like, does the Joker only exist because Batman exists? This whole thing, like, dude, like, you you put a, a boat of criminals on one side and a boat of, of of seemingly innocent civilians on the other side, and and you put a, a device in each of their hands. You telling me that that's not an interesting concept? That's, like that's, that's called shoving a message down your throat, in my opinion. That was way too in your face, in my opinion. I didn't like that scene. I was I never liked that scene for some reason. They should have they should have kept two face. They should have kept two face for the third movie. They admitted um, they they the uh, Heath Ledger's sister admitted like last week that uh, they always plan for Ledger to come back. Everything you said just now, Jacob, about the moral dilemma of that boat scene, every bit of that was in the, was in Two Face's character. Every bit of that moral question you're you're, you're posing right now that was, that could have all been summed up in everything that that, that he was doing. That what this no, but 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 the whole reason Two Face exists is because of the Joker, and the Joker is the real moral question of does the Joker exist because Batman exists? Why do we need the boat scene? The boat scene's unnecessary. Like it's you're a, unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> Corn is unnecessary. Corn is unnecessary. You know what? Corn is better than the than the boat scene. I'm gonna go have a piece of corn. I'm gonna go have some corn for dinner tonight. Uh, Hashtag Nolan Blend. Hashtag Nolan Blend. Oh man! A corn smoothie tonight for dinner. I feel like like, like I'm like just spitting out when I'm talking to you. I don't know if you can feel the spit hitting your face. (laughs) And I I love the dark night, but 
That's Here's the deal: is that we all like, well, maybe except Sean and Interstellar. We all like the movies we're talking about, <laughs> but we're all we all want to plant our flag so firmly in our favorite that we're willing to throw our other movies to the wind. I'm gonna point out that you all agreed with me on the Prestige. No, oh, I, I love the Prestige. I, I have very little negative. So I I love Bo- David Bowie in the Prestige is awesome. One more question before we go. Uh, Gabe is our producer um, for our our podcast. I wanted to know what his favorite Nolan movie yeah. is. Can, can he type it to us, or Gabe? Can you? He's, can. he's been trying Gabe to wrap us up for about half an hour. Put it in the chat down below. Yeah. What did he say, Gabe, Gabe? Gabe, what's your favorite Nolan movie? I need to know. He said Happy Gilmore. Okay. Happy Gilmore. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Which is still a good better. one. People yeah, might still- not know that Nolan. No one ghost directed Daddy's Home too, as well. Oh, he said Leonard Part Six. I didn't know Nolan did that. It's an earlier student <laughs> film of his. What's Gabe's movie for real? What's his favorite Nolan movie? It's something called Let's Rap. Wrap <laughs> 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 it up. Answer before we go, Gabe. Tell us. He's gonna type it. I'll give the wrap up while we're while he's typing it below. Jake can be found at at Jake's Takes on Twitter. Kevin can be found at at Kevin uh, McCarthy TV, and I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. This is Awards Blend. We are- (laughs) You can't can't see Gabe right now, but right right now we can see our producer Gabe just having this moral dilemma where like he has like little inside out versions of us like in his head (laughs) all battling, and he's trying to figure out which one of us he wants to tick off the most. Not only do we do this live on YouTube, um, but we are on iTunes and we have uh, 13 reviews so far, which we're really, really happy about. And all of them have been five stars. So thank I you just, so very much. I just Keep changed my Twitter name, by the way. Uh, my new Twitter name is Interstellar is the best. Sean and Jake are wrong. Hashtag Dunkirk. That's my whole, that's my whole Twitter name. Well, I would, I would change mine to Dark Knight is the best, but it's already taken because more people have already believed. <laughs> <laughs> um, with the game answer? Gabe oh, he's typing not... it. Here we go. Oh, Here we go. Oh, he's typing. Oh, has he decided? Maybe Inception. Inception. Maybe Inception. Oh, okay. Oh. I'm okay with that. I'm okay we didn't with sway that. him. We didn't sway him in any, yeah. in any one way. So. I'm okay with that. Or he just wants us to shut up. We thank you so much for tuning in um, and watching Awards Blend Live. We thank you for going to iTunes and subscribing to us and downloading our podcast. We just love doing this. We'll be back next week. Um, we will share it on social when we're going to be out there. And until then... Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Dunkirk. Dunkirk. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.